if you think about where we are at the end of chapter three, it's an unfolding of God working behind the scenes. We've sort of had up on the screen the last couple of days, last couple of Sundays, Romans, uh, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who are who love him and are called according to his purpose. That And that, that sort of tells us that he's working behind the scenes, that when we're waiting on reports for the scan and when we're hoping a doctor doesn't tell us we can't travel and where we are uh, hoping for better news about a job or or we're hoping that our kids will finally behave we 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 have a, a back where Naomi was at the beginning of the story we we don't see past the the immediate but God causes all things to work together. He is, he is working in places that we can't understand. When I was in high school, we uh, had to take a, a battery of tests to determine our college fit that was uh, administered by the United States Air Force. The uh, armed services vocational aptitude battery, ASVAB. And one of the things I remember about that test is that there was a picture, and on the picture was a whole page full of deers. And on one year, it had an arrow, and it said, which direction is this one turning? So you had to look at the gears and go, well, if this turns this way, this will turn this way, this will turn this way, this will turn this way, this way, this way, this way, this way, this way, this way. and you had to to determine which way this deer was going to rotate. And it's, it's almost like that's what Ruth is telling us, is that God is spinning this deer down here. And it's going to set a whole bunch of other deers. Children have those games. It's going, to, it's going to set a whole other set of gears in motion. And, 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 and we either have to, to be in serious a communion with God to see what this gear is going to do, or we just have to wait. But then there's sometimes that we have to act. What is the, the old cliche, delayed obedience is disobedience. And so Ruth gave Boaz the challenge to marry her. And now he had to respond. You know, most of the time we think of the, the man asking the woman uh, for her hand in marriage. But, you know, we would be terribly disappointed if she says, let me get back to you on that. <laughs> we, that, that that's not a time to wait. <laughs> what do you mean, Emily? <laughs> so we, we get the idea that she was told to wait but he was challenged to act. And I, I think there's a takeaway from what Bridget was talking about for all of us, that, that part of our discernment in prayer, and especially as we lead families, there's a time to wait and there's a time to act. So we pick up in chapter four. What is the opening line in your translation? I'm I'm reading the ESV and it says, now Boaz had gone up to the gate. The, the, the idea is that there is a, um, 
an immediate that it, it, it communicates it was on that day, but it doesn't communicate that there was uh, haste about it on that day. Now, then it came about. Message says went straight. Went straight. So, so instead of going to the market where his grain would be sold, he went to the city gate. Now, I, I think it's fairly self-explanatory from the context that the city gate is part um, town hall, it's part courthouse. Um, most Canaanite cities were walled. And with a very few exceptions, the water source was outside of the city walls. Uh, the reason for that is that most of the time a, um, uh, a city would be built on a hill for defensive purposes, for uh, the, the breezes that would cool off the rooftops. And the water, of course, flows down. So often the, the water source would be a spring or a, or a pool, which would be at the base of the hill. So you would have to leave the city in order to get to the water. That makes sense. Uh, the the man who helped found this church, Andy Smith, he he said that he thought that this would be a good location for a church because in cities, people always people who have money always move north of town because that's where the clean water is, and people always move to high ground. Well, Dunwoody is both north with a clean water source and our parking lot is the highest elevation other than Stone Mountain in all of DeKalb County. So the, the builder of a city in Canaanite times would have built a, a heavily walled city. And the, so, so everybody that went to get water would have to pass through the gate. Everybody that left the city to go check on fields, the threshing floor that we, we read about in chapter three, that would have been in the fields. Ruth would have gleaned in the fields, the harvest in the fields. So outside of the walls of the city, so everybody that does anything would have had to go through the gate. One writer said it was hugely providential that this guy who was the redeemer would walk through the gate. I don't, I mean, maybe God is in charge of all things, but everybody who left the city had to go through that gate. There was only one. And generally, it was a little bit of a, a serpentine. You couldn't, uh, for defensive purposes, you couldn't go straight through the gate. Yeah, and we'll see those uh, gates like that when we go to uh, Jerusalem next week. You have to wind your way through, and then in the middle, there's a sort of a, a courtyard area, and then another a set of gates so that uh, the the open area was a defensive uh, move so that if you got through the labyrinth of the first gate, you were looking at the, the defense forces of the city and they had room to operate and you didn't. You were coming out of an enclosed space into an open space. Well, that open space was where people would do business. And so it, it was sort of a uh, an outdoor Court with benches and 
and the, the men of the city would often do business there because it was sort of like city hall. That's where you found the clerk of court. And the way that it worked, Boaz went there, but verse two gives us a clue that we got to pick up on. He didn't go there alone. He had rounded up 10 men of the elders of the city. So that tells us that there were more than 10 elders. He got 10 because apparently that was a number that was uh, required. I, I, I tend to think it was a little overkill. Usually seven was the sufficient number. And then 10 was that number plus more. And so he gathered these men and uh and so behold the redeemer of whom boaz had spoken came by now review that was the one who was a closer kinsman than boaz was to naomi's or elimelech's line and he had the right of first refusal on the land remember leverett marriage there are two issues here uh, one writer said one is the land and one is the hand. <laughs> if you get the land, you get her hand. <laughs> so, so the, this guy had in mind the land and that who doesn't want to add a little bit of profit. There's an interesting play on words here in that when Boaz says to him, turn aside friend surely he knew his name i mean it was a small town many people think that the narrator is sort of diminishing his status in this because the hebrew phrase there is a rhyming phrase you know we have rhyming phrases where the sum of the whole is greater than the individual parts hocus pocus Helter skelter, willy nilly. Nobody knows what a willy is, and nobody knows what a nilly is. But if something is done willy nilly, then we get the, the 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 implication. Well, the the translation of this would be Mister So and So. It's almost a dismissive cliche that the writer holds us a little bit. He, he continues the suspense of this thing, where Boaz said. Hey, dude, Mr. So-and-so, doesn't even give his name. He said, come here, uh, step aside, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, still doesn't give his name, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. She wasn't really selling it. She was losing it. It was like she didn't have the means to, uh, to sustain it, nor did she have a legitimate heir for it. There was a legitimate heir, meaning a male. There was no male heir. So she was going to lose that property to somebody. And what Naomi and then... Ruth and then Boaz and now the 10 elders uh, acknowledges that there is a legal proceeding. This is almost a, a foreclosure on the courthouse steps. And so 
he says, she's selling the parcel that belonged to our relative, Elimelech. So I thought I'd tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here, in the presence of the elders of my people, our people. So, it, I mean, it's you, at the same time as you think Boaz is all godly and integrity and pure, and he didn't sleep with Ruth on the threshing floor when he could have, he's a little shrewd too. You know, and, and I guess there's a lesson in there too. Be, be, be wise and trusting in the Lord, but be shrewd. You know, be, be be strategic. And so he knew exactly what he was doing. He ambushed this guy, completely took him off guard. And he said, uh, so what do you want to do? Like, decide on the spot. Here's the elders. Here's the witnesses. There's a growing crowd because of 10 elders and, and some people doing some business or are gathered there. It's going to draw a crowd. We We'll see that later, that there was a, a, a crowd of people in addition to the elders. And he really puts this guy on the spot. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You, you need to know right now. You know, do I, do I at least get to test drive it? Do I, do I at least get to go look at the land? Or what, what is it? And so the guy, he says to the guy, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you, and I come after you, and I will redeem you. He's just piling on right now. He's just absolutely burying this guy with, with information. And Boaz knows exactly how this is going to end up. But he's holding his cards pretty close, isn't he? Yeah. He's leading up to yeah. the kicker there that yeah. you buy the land she goes with it yeah uh, i i i have people that do this with me alan you you really don't want this to happen do you no of course not well then you'll want to decide to do what i want you to do <laughs> and it's like this is connected with this and he is he's he's leading him down the road but now he puts the pressure on him. He says, this is going to be settled right now. Somebody's going home with a new car. <laughs> well, is it, is it, well, I've got a question, though, because it was saying in, in uh, verse uh, 4, 3, is selling Moab, uh, the woman, you know, Naomi came back from uh, Moab, is selling the piece of the land, not not that he's redeeming it. So as he say, I'm selling it. What what's the price? I I think I mean, the the selling there is that she's having to give it up just to give it away. She can't own land. She's a woman, but she owns it already. She inherited it. Her husband owned it. Well, he died. Okay, women can't own land, so. They needed, to they needed a man to be the kinsman redeemer because a woman couldn't land. And so if it was not claimed, it would simply be lost. Or, or if she had a male heir. Right. Uh, so there's, you know, her despair was because there was no heir. There was no. And, and again, we, we talked about levered marriage. 
it was not just about the land, it was also about the, the lineage, that, that it was a shameful thing to not have someone to carry on the family name. So um, I think selling is probably a bad word there. Well, I'm reading here, and this kind of maybe sheds a little light on that. Talks about how it's more likely Naomi, being a woman, held only the right to use the land until the time of her remarriage or death. Because she held this right to the use of the land, she also had the right to buy it back from its current owner, but she didn't possess the means to do so. She had to dispose of her rights in the matter. Well, um, I've read sources that would say that, and that it makes sense that a woman could not own land, that without a that seems to answer the urgency of trying to find a kinsman redeemer. Um, but again, the storyteller is going to keep his his cards pretty close. And uh, we are at a place where there's two men that are potential redeemers. And uh, ostensibly, they would honor the family name. We'll just put up an Elimelech plaque over there in the South 40 and say, yeah, old Elimelech gave us that field. And Boaz is saying, but it's a little more complicated than that. And what Boaz is actually saying is a, is, is a little further than the law actually required. But because Naomi was back and was, as Gary said, using the land, because she was on the land and she was still alive, that right would probably pass to her daughter-in-law because it would pass to, so, so they could use the land, but they would never own the land. But then there was the, the thing of an heir. Naomi was a lot more disturbed about the lack of an heir than she was losing the land. Her despair with no air. Despair with no air. Wow, I love it. You said it. Well, the first point on Sunday is from gloom to groom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Boaz was clearly, you know, predominant or respected to be able to call attention of ten elders. Yeah, to summon a meeting yeah. like this early yeah. in the morning. And yeah. uh, on a yeah, he was clearly, and, and so there was definitely a power difference. Yeah, he, he took. Seven councilmen and three alternates. So. Yeah, he uh, he he definitely he used right. his status as a a bit of a power play. He probably gained that status because he wasn't a dummy when it came to negotiating. And he, yeah, right. people who get rich get rich because they're smart enough to get rich. Well, I mean, even his final point here to whoever this guy he's talking to is, Mister So and So, Mister So and So, look, you're not going to be able to keep the land anyway. It's going to go to whoever her heir is. So, I mean, do if you want to, but it's not permanently going to be yours. So the guy says, fine, I'll take it. And now the other penny drops, verse five. Well, Mr. So-and-so, there's a little bit of a, a bonus. <laughs> it's a bogo. This is a bogo. But wait, there's more. What else does she win, Johnny? <laughs> so the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, 
you will also acquire Ruth the Moabite. Um, the original text says you will also buy it from Ruth. It's a little unclear as to how this inheritance worked between women, but clearly because Ruth had married into the family and because she had returned and put her feet on the land. Now, remember that phrase. When you put your feet on the land, that's a, that's a, a strong possessive in, the, in this culture. Do you remember that God said to Abraham, every place your foot walks, every place you put your feet, I will give you that land. When you put your feet on the land, I'll give you the land. And so to put your feet on the land was, um, it was almost a squatter's right. You, it couldn't be taken away from you as long as your feet were on the land. And then that's going to play into the, the sandal episode in just a minute. So then the Redeemer says, oh, wait a minute. I can't redeem it if I have to marry her. Now, I think everything you're thinking right now is probably accurate. That he goes, I've already got a wife. I don't think it will do well if I say, honey, guess what happened at the city gate today? <laughs> I'd like you to meet Ruth. Say hello to my little friend. Can you show her where to put her clothes? <laughs> what was it not uncommon for for there to be more than one wife? Not uncommon at all. Um, as a matter of, it, it was a little less common with the Hebrews than it was with the Arabs. Uh, matter of fact, when we go to Israel and we're driving through the countryside, we will pass through a what's a, a Druze village, which is a a, a nomadic offshoot of Jews slash Arabs and it won't be uncommon to have a house with four stories and each wife gets a floor and and so no Emily it was not at all uncommon but it was sort of diluting the inheritance that he understood right away that if I take on a second wife and she has a son now, not only is he the heir to Naomi's plot of land, he's the heir to all of my land as well. So it's like, I've already got children who are, are counting on their inheritance. And, and you know, I'm, I'm reading between the lines, kind of like, and Naomi's little plot of land, it's like, I've got 50 acres, she's got an acre. Right now, my sons have a share of 50 acres divided by two or three or however many sons there were, now I have 60 acres divided by four. It would dilute the inheritance, and that's what he was not willing to do. I also think he was not willing to bring a wife home. It's it's complicated. Yeah, I, would, <laughs> I, I can just... Funny thing happened at the city gate. Uh, so did you bring home the bread? Yeah, <laughs> and the bread maker. She's got a lot of grain. Uh, she has six barley, so six measures, all her own. So he says, 
take my right of redemption or I cannot redeem it. And then there's a really interesting phrase. See if you guys pick up what this means. Verse seven. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. What does that tell us? They, they had set precedents, I think, in Deuteronomy 25.9, and they were just following that custom. But at least a generation has passed between when the story happened and when the story was written down. Because he's telling the readers, you might not know about this custom. We don't do this anymore. Because hey, I have that as a parenthetical Verse. Say that again. Yeah. Or at least oh, you read yeah. it. So, now so it's like an editorial comment. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's the reader that. has the advantage of the, the writer including us in the story. He said they did this in the olden days. You know, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's you can you can hear all of us who are old going, well, back in my day, this is how we did things. I remember when you pulled in a gas station, somebody put gas in your car back in the olden days. And, and so he says, there, there used to be a custom back in the olden days to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other as this was a manner of attesting in Israel. Now we're at a fork in the road. And this is bonus content. You won't get this on Sunday. <laughs> the sandal meant one of two things. In Deuteronomy 25, if a man refused leveret marriage, if he refused to marry his brother's widow in order to uh, continue the family name, then she could approach him in the city gate, take off his sandal, slap him with it, and spit in his face and say, you are the cause of the unsandaled generation. You're cutting off the family line. You are a man of shame. And honor and shame Big deal in the East back then, big deal in the East today. That's one rendering. And a lot of scholars head that way. That doesn't make any sense to me. Nobody is refusing here. There are two possibilities. Nobody is, is saying that there is a man who will step in. And so the other explanation goes back to what I said a minute ago, that in another tradition, if you were selling somebody a piece of property, you would take his sandal off and place it on the property. Your foot is now on the land. You now possess the land. You possess what your foot walks on. I like that explanation better than I like the shame explanation, although many refer back to Deuteronomy 25 where if a man refuses leveret marriage, he, is, he brings shame on his family. This makes more sense because 
the whole discussion is about claiming land. Now, Boaz knows enough to keep Ruth sort of in the background here, right? He's elaborate marriage is not the 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 presenting issue here. The presenting issue is do you want to claim the land? And so when he says, I will not claim the land, that he says he took his sandal off, he gave it to the other, and this was a manner of attesting. Now you put my sandal on the land. Now you put my feet on the land. And it was almost like a, a closing document, or here's the key to the house. Here's the, here's the title to the car. And so I, I, I kind of like that explanation just a little uh, better. Now, to your point about selling land, the word redeem means paying a price. Mm -hmm. Okay, we we sort of think that Boaz is sort of sliding into a, a, a May-September relationship here with a younger woman and and that he is he's he's getting all the benefits of a little trophy Moab bride, but he's paying a price here. He's he is he is impacting his own holdings, his own inheritance. Now the narrator tells us that it's fine because love is in the air, right? He, he he's fallen in love with this woman, but to redeem means to pay a price. And, and there is a sense that this is a costly redemption. And the narrator wants us to see that because he's going to plant a seed in just a little bit that this costly redemption had wide reaching impact because it resulted in Ruth being the great grandmother of King David. So, and then another Jew, Matthew, tells us that, oh, yeah, and a few generations later, King David was the predecessor of King Jesus. So, now, again, I've said this before, I don't believe this narrator had any thought that he was writing about the line of the Messiah. I think God was doing that behind the scenes. It, it's it's much much later. King David was was probably still alive, or or I, I don't pick up that Solomon was king yet when this was written, because he's not mentioned. But um, I think there was a a period of time between when it happened and when it was written that's explained by the mention of King David, but also the. Emphasis on in olden times is how we did things. Yeah, George. Okay. It, it says that uh, Ruth also was included in the transaction, so to speak. Where does Naomi stand in all of this? And she's the, I mean, what, what is the relationship between Boaz and Naomi? And then if the two properties are merged, are they put into a pool? And what about other children that Boaz may have with another wife? How does that all play into this? It didn't mention anything. We get a we get a bit of a hint there. Um, he was old enough to be married. Yeah, um, yeah but, I think that he probably was, and possibly even a widower. 
Um, now again, I don't I don't agree with uh, uh, the Jewish text that says he was eighty. Uh, I, I don't really that doesn't fit with the the math we talked about that. But I do think he was old enough to have either been a lifelong bachelor or he had a wife who had died. If there are other children here, he has enough to where he doesn't really have a problem with diluting the inheritance. Does, does the Naomi, what she has, it is absorbed into his. It's absorbed into the. Yeah. And, and it would be fair to say that the reason that he mentions Ruth and not just Naomi is that if the guy, if he had led with that, if he just said, if you get this land, you also have to get Naomi. Well, this guy would have said, she's too old to have children. That's not a problem. So he, he mentioned Ruth, who was still of childbearing age. Now, as a roll of the dice, she'd been barren for 10 years. She'd been married to, to Malon, Malon for 10 years and hadn't had a child. Hmm. But she was still of childbearing age. So to speak. And had, she, had they been married 10 years or they were only away from? We don't know. I thought they were just. We, we do know that they've been married long enough to produce a child produce a if child, they were going to have a child. So five years, three years, 10 years, seven years. You're, you're right. They were in Moab 10 years, uh, but she still didn't have a child. Naomi was close by. I mean, she ended up being, right? Like living nanny. Uh, I think she stayed on in her house. I think that the, the child lived with her a good bit of the time. I think Mimi time was right. pretty abundant. Uh, now, but we'll get to that. This, this one doesn't make sense, though, because it, my Bible says David born 1040, you see. But then this was written around 10... Somewhere, sometime after the period of the Judges, 1375. Oh, yeah, it could be because it says 1050, but David was born 1050. Obed had to have been when they consummated Obed. Well, well keep in mind that Obed is, is a footnote in the story. We, the, the, the writer shifts to future tense. This happened down the road. So at the very end of this whole story, so if, if the events of Ruth took place around 1060, 1050, if David was born in 1040, it, the, the, mean, the, the math can work. Um, but we don't think this was written. We had an open Jesse. Jesse was in there. Yeah. So if a generation is 20 years, and you figure David is 60 years younger than Obed. Yeah. yeah, George. Being Hebrew and being Moab were kind of in two different camps. Naomi's Hebrew, Boaz is Hebrew, Naomi is Moab. Was Boaz redeeming Naomi? And Ruth came along as part of the package? Yes, yes, and yes. 
Um, because of Boaz's language on the threshing floor, we know that he knew about Ruth's declaration, my God will be your God. Your people will be my people. Where you die, I will die. And so Ruth's, yeah, she was a, she was basically a, a, a proselyte or a convert into Judaism. Moab was not that distant. You, you remember that, yeah. that Moab was a, an offshoot of, of the, the Hebrews. So um, story ends. I, will I, be I have... I have a couple of questions, please. Sure. Um, one is, if if Boaz had children from some previous marriage, the land that that he acquired through through this deal, that land would pass on to Ruth's offspring. Not Correct. to Boaz's previous offspring. Is that true? true? Correct. Okay. Uh, with the reaction of the other redeemer, apparently there was some kind of an algorithm that uh, that caused the inheritances to be some combined in some way, because the uh, other redeemer didn't want to affect his inheritance. We're not really sure what the legalities of that, but all of the language, you're exactly right, Emily, is that all of the language points to Naomi recovering status with the birth of a male child. You know, now she will be provided for. Now she will be nourished in her old age. So the Redeemer was very clear. He said, I can't redeem this because if I do, I'll lose everything. Yeah. It'll affect my inheritance. All right. My my other my other thought is um, here. Every time Ruth is mentioned in this whole thing, it's Ruth the Moabitess, um, and and as somebody was just saying, there's a way of that kind of going. You know, hey, do you, you know, she may be converted, but. You know, you're taking on somebody that's not Hebrew. Um, Which points to the cost of the redemption. Right. You know, when when the outsider, God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We're Moabites. We're on the outside. We 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 didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We didn't inherit it. We, we, we are only on the coattails of grace. And the outrageous Sadie Hawkins proposal on the threshing floor, it almost points to the outrageous grace that we enjoy. That we get to approach the God of the universe and say, will you let me become your child? And he does. Um, all right. Finish it up. Um, Boaz says the elders and all the people. So verse nine, a crowd had gathered by then. You are witnesses on this day. I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, 
all that belonged to Chilion, all that belonged to Milan, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon. So now she's given a, 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 an identity that we have not heard publicly proclaimed. I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from his brothers. So it is both a redemption of the land and a redemption of the hand. It was, it was that the name wouldn't be cut off and that the land wouldn't be lost. Then all the people, verse 11, said, yay, uh, we are witnesses. And now there is a sort of a threefold blessing. You can, you can see them. Uh, first blessing, may the Lord... Make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, uh, who along with their maids uh, birthed the 12 tribes of Israel, who built up the house of Israel. Blessing number two pointed at Boaz. May you act worthily in Bethlehem. Be renowned. Uh, may your house be like the house of Perez. And the, the reason that Perez is mentioned is that he is the ancestor of the Bethlehemites. So he, he, he's sort of the town hero among the children of the children of the 12 tribes. Perez was the, the father of the Bethlehemites. Um, and interestingly enough, Tamar bore as a result of a leveret marriage. Judah was the father of Perez, uh, and Judah married uh, or had a child. I don't know that we ever know that he married her, but had a, a child with uh, Tamar when she deceived him, pretending to be a prostitute. But that's another story. Gets better and better, doesn't it? So the blessing is, may you have children May you act with integrity and worth. May the Lord redeem Naomi because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So the blessing is directed at both Boaz and Naomi. So, verse 13, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And almost immediately, apparently, the Lord gave her conception. Uh, that is, um, you can't go by there too fast because you got to remember she was barren in Moab. So the, the, the Lord did it. It was miraculous. Then the women said to Noah, Naomi, here's the third blessing. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer. May his name not Boaz, but the child who has been born, who will be uh, attributed to the line of Elimelech, and his name is Obed. He shall become to you a restorer of life. And that, that is what it looks like. He's going to provide for you in your old age. As long as you have a male, you have a provider. As long as you have a male, 
you have a landowner. As long as you have a male, you have somebody with rights. So this guardian redeemer is, I mean, they're talking about Obed, about the, mm -hmm. no, wow. no, he is the product of the kinsman redeemer, but he becomes the male heir of, of uh, Limelech's line. So the Lord has not left you without a redeemer, Boaz. May his name be renowned in Israel. He, the son, shall be a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. So they switch from Boaz to Obed. Um, and the, the redeemer, the kinsman redeemer is Boaz. The product of that redemption is Obed. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. That, of course, is not the wet nurse. That's not that she breastfed this child in any way. That the word is never used as a wet nurse. It was a nanny. Uh, most cultures have a uh, an affectionate term for uh, grandmother. Uh, uh, Lola is uh, is the uh, the term in the Philippines or or um, um, abuela in Spanish. Yeah, yeah is uh, is sort of a combination. Yaya is actually Filipino as well yeah. in that it, it implies a caretaker of a child, whether related or not. Mm. So a, a house helper with primary responsibilities for a child will be a Yaya. Uh, but a Lolo Yaya would be the, the grandmother who's the caretaker. And that's why I wonder if Obed lived, you know, he did camp grandma a lot. Uh, that's that that you I, I told you guys that Reed got to come visit with me this weekend. And uh I mean he was he he loves his papa. He was joined at the hip. Uh I got home uh Tuesday morning early. I'd got some uh some poison to try to get rid of some of the chipmunks that are eating my house. And uh he said, What are you doing, Papa? I said, I'm gonna go. Boys in the chipmunks. I want to come. <laughs> yeah. There's never too young to learn about poison and chipmunks. While you're outside, we'll pee in the yard. I mean, it's just, let's just come on, boy. And, and then you almost get the idea that Obed is, 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 he understands what has happened. He understands this whole, um, uh, this whole wonderful miracle that's happened. And then uh, they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Uh, Skip, I think I was wrong. If a generation is 20 years, then Obed would only be 40 years older than, uh, than David. <clears throat> so I'm just sitting here wondering, is there a chance that David knew Boaz? A uh, chance? Yeah. But if Boaz was... If Boaz was 50, 60 when Obed was born, it's unlikely. Right. But because they had children very, very young, they considered a generation to be 20 years. David, Ruth. Yeah. Yeah. Chance he knew Ruth, his great grandmother. I mean, wouldn't it be 60? So if Obed was born, has, has a kid at 20. And Jesse's born as a kid at 20. Right. And then David. 
So David would have, yeah. Then David would have had Solomon in 20 or yeah. the 60. Yeah, that would be 60 separate. Yeah. So the math, the math works. And I'm gonna let Robert explain all of that. The the last sermon of the uh the series. Um, but I think I see lots of lessons here about family. I see that the the families there's there are we we can't divorce all that happens in Ruth from the context of family. It's just it's not just strangers who are being kind to each other. It's not just a pretty Moabitess who was gleaning in the field and uncovered his feet. It was it was family is messy. Redemption is costly. Uh, there's a there's a uh, it, it's not automatic. It's it, 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 I'll, I'll say on Sunday, it, it feels like Boaz was fighting for his family, that he he was willing to go through all these steps. And obviously he had quite a strategic plan and he was willing to say, OK, we'll set up what we need to set up to fight for the family. And I don't want to miss that throughout this whole story. We have uh, a lot of takeaways for the family, and that's what I'll end with on Sunday. Any other, uh, let's see if I left out anything. I added four or five pages to the notes. Um, on the same Google Drive? Huh? On the same Google Drive, right? Uh, I'll, yeah, well, I'll send it back out. I've got it. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, again, the it is it is no accident for us that the genealogy at the very end of this book is tied to the genealogy in Matthew. But that is God at work. That is God authoring the scriptures. That is God bringing the continuity of all this together because in 1050 BC there was a a, a, a a growing concept of Messiah right but Isaiah hadn't been born yet the suffering servant hadn't been described yet Isaiah was 800 BC and, and so the the the, the idea of a Messiah that would be born in the line of David, Micah 5.2, that, that the Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem. Well, Micah is an 8th century prophet. So this is 200 years before any of that took place. And we see God at work because the genealogy written by a Jewish tax collector in Matthew it ties right into the genealogy that was written by a brilliant storyteller uh, 10 centuries before Christ. All right. Yeah, Ed, Ed, Hayes, Ed Hayes would say, well, that is predestiny. <laughs> <laughs> predestiny, I guess so. What's the, what's the correlation of like the 10 names in Ruth's family, right? And the 10 names... And the genealogies for Noah and Abrams. Um, I, I think it was symbolic. 
I, I don't think that very many of the numbers in the genealogies, not only the generations, I think most of that was symbolic. 14 generations is two sevens, and seven was perfection. Uh, I think they were also trying to uh, account for the long lives of Methuselah and Noah that that I mean, when you live 900, what's a generation? <laughs> you know, you have kids at 20, 40, 60, 80, 100, 110, 120, <laughs> you have 12 generations in your own family. So I, I think that a lot of the numbers that are given are more to be taken symbolically than literally uh, because the writers are inspired by the Holy Spirit, but they're still trying to to line up with other uh, other stories, other scriptures. Uh, most of the battle numbers are, I think, are symbolic. Uh, but in this case, the ten generations, I think, was perfection plus three. All right, everybody. This is our last uh, study until August. Uh, we are putting together some kind of a video Q and A with the staff. That answer questions such as why does a good God allow evil to exist? Uh, a lot of questions like that. And we'll make those available on a weekly basis. And uh, so that's how you can kind of keep up with what's going on during the summer. Because I know you just can't wait to get together with us again. So that's what we have going on. Have so you guys discovered the digital VBC podcast channel? There's all kinds of content on there. And Gary's goal has been to do 30-minute uh, podcasts so that, you know, that's the amount of time you're in your car most of the time, that you can listen to 30 minutes at a time, whether it's 30-minute sermon or a 30-minute Bible study or a 30-minute interview with, uh, uh, there, I think you interviewed um, Harold Arthur, Bannister, Harold Bannister. Uh, yeah. Taylor Turnbow, uh, John Hume. Uh, we have, uh, we had a series called Where Does the Money Go with uh, Alan Tolliver and David Harris. Uh, so if you're kind of ever wondering about that. So Where do we find that? If you go to digital, if you go to our website, dbc.org, there are links to it on that. But the thing that we're about to do will also be on YouTube. That uh, if you go to dbc.org slash digital dbc, you'll see our podcast there. Uh, I do believe there's a link to it on the homepage, but I can't 100% remember. Uh, so, and it's also, there's a link to it in the e-news, in the weekly uh, news that you get in your uh, email box. There's a link to that at the bottom. Uh, so there are, there are several different ways. You, you have Spotify. If you have Apple, whatever Apple people listen to, if you have Apple, uh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever that is. <laughs> Whatever all the cult. I don't understand do. those. Cults. The Apple cult. It's but called, yeah. It's called a podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you listen really simple. Podcast, if you look up digital DVC in a Google search bar, you're probably going to find us on something. So. All right. Uh, love you guys. We'll be back on this in August. But uh, in the meantime, digital DVC, and uh, don't uh, miss the next two Sundays, whether we finish up this incredible story.